Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak. A couple years ago, I got really into British crime dramas. I've seen the big ones, your Sherlock's, Broadchurch's, Wallander's, and the more obscure, like Shetland and Scott and Bailey. I thought about why, but I haven't really come to a satisfying answer beyond that I've always loved puzzles and riddles, and if it's done with a British accent and fewer guns than in America, so much the better. But I haven't gotten nearly so deep into crime books. And when a book comes out that's billed as the first serious history of mystery in 50 years, there's no way I'm turning down the opportunity to get a tour of crime fiction from the man who wrote it. Martin Edwards, the author of dozens of crime novels, about a thousand articles about other people's crime novels, and the eighth president of the Detection Club, whose predecessors include G.K. Chesterton, Dorothy L. Sayers, Agatha Christie, and other royalty. Martin Edwards joins us from the birthplace of crime fiction, Great Britain, to talk about his new book, The Life of Crime. Thanks so much for talking to me, Martin. Well, thanks very much indeed, Stephanie. It's a delight to be with you. So your book is a a magnificent tome, 55 chapters, more than 100 writers, covering several centuries and about 622 pages if we take out the index. What was your original goal in writing such a massive history? (laughs) <laughs> well, it, well it, is a, it is a very big book, but, but then again, it, in my defence, it is a very big subject indeed, uh, and I, I cover the world, and I, I cover the, uh, the whole range going back to the very earliest crime stories, and I guess that my, my goal was to uh, explain the history and explain the connections between different kinds of crime writing uh, in different countries, uh, different historical periods and try to in- encourage uh, readers um, who may like one particular type of crime fiction to to think about um, trying out one or two others that they may not be quite so sure about. But we're trying to uncover some of those hidden connections uh, between different subgenres and, and try to share with as many people as possible my, my lifelong uh, passion for this uh, wonderful genre of fiction. You say lifelong passion. When did you first get into crime? Or, you know, not into crime, but crime fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the, the very tender age of eight years old, which is a very long time ago, I discovered Agatha Christie through watching uh, one of the old films, uh, except it was a new film then, starring Margaret Rutherford called Murder Most Foul. And I was absolutely fascinated. I went home. Uh, that night and uh, my grandmother was living with us at the time she had a few Agatha Christie paperbacks I picked one up called uh, Murder at the Vicarage and uh, started reading and fell in love with crime fiction and really from that that moment on from that that early age I, I had two goals in life just just two first of all I wanted to read as much uh, detective fiction as I possibly could and secondly I had the idea even at that early point in my life of writing mysteries as well so it was a twin passion really uh, connected I've, I've been a reader and a fan all my life but also somebody who's enjoyed creating uh, mysteries uh, of my own. What do you think the appeal is for you? And I'm hoping in your answer you can also explain the appeal for me because 
nobody else that I know is as into crime shows as I am. And my boyfriend's number one criticism is like, isn't it all the same? You find out who did it in the end. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, th- I think the the appeal varies from from reader to reader and from watcher to watcher, of course. But I, I think there are certain common strands that that, that unite uh, fans across the world and and again across time. And and one of these is that uh, we all like a puzzle. We all like solving a puzzle, or nearly all of us do. And the more intricate and challenging the puzzle, very often uh, the the better, as far as many of us are concerned, at any rate. Uh, so there's the puzzle element. But also on, on a slightly deeper level, more literary level perhaps, there's the art of fiction itself. And crime fiction has, has often been uh, condescended to and patronised by critics uh, over the years. Uh, I think that's, that's uh, coming to an end now, but we still see a little bit of this literary snobbery. But actually the, the quality of writing of uh, some of the best books is very high indeed. And like all fiction... Uh, I think the aim is to cast light on human nature, character, what makes people tick, that kind of thing. And there's a further element as well that I think is specific to crime, which is this. It's, it's often said that detective fiction, at least, is about restoring order to a disturbed society, a society disrupted by, by crime. But, but I think that that doesn't really explain the appeal of suspense fiction, such as the books of Patricia Highsmith, uh, Gillian Flynn nowadays, and, and, and many others. And for me, the connecting uh, element is, is more about uncertainty. Of course, we're living right now in very uncertain times, just as people were after the First World War when the traditional whodunit really came into enormous prominence and Agatha Christie started writing along with Sayers and, and many others. And, and again, we're in that period of great uncertainty after the pandemic and with everything else that's going on in the world. And I think that crime fiction in its different guises has a lot to do with with stories that address uncertainty. Sometimes the uncertainty is resolved, sometimes the, the puzzle is uh, is worked out, but justice isn't always done. But nevertheless, we see in fictional form people, characters in the stories, dealing with uncertainties created by crime, very often murder, but not always. And, and it's that, I think, that speaks to us that, and has done across the generations and across the continents that, that we identify with people who are facing uncertainty. And maybe there's, there's, there's something to be gained by, by reading how people in fictional circumstances uh, cope with the uncertainties they, they encounter in their own lives. And maybe it gives us one or two clues, if you like, to, uh, to how we might go about our own lives. Do you think that was true from the start? Well, I, I do, actually, because um, the, the book Life of Crime begins with, uh, in chapter one, a book called Caleb Williams, written by William Godwin, who was the, the father of Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Godwin was an anarchist, and he was a, a revolutionary. He was writing at the time of the French Revolution, uh, a period of enormous uncertainty. And Caleb Williams is a kind of cat-and-mouse thriller, uh, it's, it's actually to the modern reader not necessarily that thrilling nowadays. It's a rather stodgy read, I'm afraid. But, but it, but it was a very significant 
but historically it's really a landmark title. And when you come to Edgar Allan Poe, in the 1840s, writing his uh, detective short stories, he wrote five in all. Again, in different ways, he's he's addressing forms of uncertainty, uh, perhaps mirroring some of the uh, unhappy experiences in his own uh, tragically short life. So what are the big landmarks in crime fiction? Obviously, it's a very long period from 1790 to today. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of different yes. forking paths. Everybody knows about Agatha Christie's. Eh? I think that's that's one inflection point, but I'm really clueless about the rest. Well, I, I think Edgar Allan Poe uh, was, was a very significant innovator. He only wrote five crime or detective short stories, but they were very, very influential. They laid down the template for literally thousands of other stories. So he was very, very significant, even though his career was very short. Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, was again highly influential because he created this uh, great detective who remains uh, an enormously popular character to this day and, and in TV shows like Sherlock and Elementary and so on, uh, we, we see him reincarnated in, uh, in all kinds of unexpected ways. So, so he's a character who speaks across the generations. Uh, so Conan Doyle was, was really influential. And he was trying to play fair with the reader as he saw it by explaining how Sherlock arrived at his deductions. But the reader didn't have the information that Sherlock did. So the reader wasn't able to beat him to the solution of the crime. What changed with uh, Agatha Christie and the other writers of the Golden Age was that they were writing longer stories, generally novels, rather than short stories. And they had enough space to hide the clues and give the clues to the reader. So they were playing fair with the reader in uh, in, in uh, the sense of playing a game. Uh, the detective story in that period between the two world wars became a game where the reader was challenged. Can you solve the mystery before the great detective, whether it's Hercule Poirot or Lord Peter Wimsey or, or, or anyone else? And that idea of game playing uh, was enormously uh, significant in the period after the First World War. It fell out of fashion to some extent, but it's always remained pretty significant. And then after the Second World War, uh, wars do change things. You have writers coming along like Patricia Highsmith at a time when the world has been disrupted by uh, seismic events. Uh, in Germany, in Japan, you've had the Holocaust, the, the bomb being dropped. Readers and people around the world were reflecting on the nature of evil. Uh, more than perhaps they'd done in the past. And, and writers like Patricia Highsmith, I think, latched onto the zeitgeist. So you see in Highsmith's books uh, and the books of other writers at that time, post-Second World War, uh, something of a sea change in, in writers' attitudes. They're trying to explore uh, the psychology of the criminal. So over time, uh, fashions change and, and different authors come along who who can make a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask more about all of the women you've mentioned, because it is rare for so many of the influential writers in a genre to be women and for so many of them to be so yeah. successful. 
Agatha Christie, yes. Dorothy L. Sayers, Patricia Highsmith. The yeah. best-selling woman for many years was Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Yes. Yes. And there's a very funny story about a butler involved. <laughs> I was just <laughs> astonished. I mean, what was it about crime fiction that I guess allowed women to succeed in a way that seems kind of unusual for the time? Well, I, I, I think that's that's a very good and important point, actually. And, and of course, it goes back to the 19th century writers like uh, uh, Mrs. Braddon. Uh, uh, you've mentioned Mary Roberts Reinhardt and, and also before her, uh, an American writer uh, known as the mother of American detective fiction, Anna Catherine Green. And I, I, I think one, one of the key realities is that writing was a career that was open to a woman. In in Britain, for instance, between the wars, there were certain professions that were closed to women. Uh, uh, a, a woman who trained to be a teacher, once she got married, uh, was legally prohibited from continuing to teach. So that was a uh, something that only changed in the 1940s. So a lot of restrictions imposed by society on women. But women could write if they had the time. Uh, the opportunity and the will, they could write, and, and they did write, and, and what's more, they wrote uh, very well indeed. Plus plus the, the interest that many of these women had in human nature and in exploring how uh, people respond to uh, uh, seismic events in their lives, the, the intrusion of crime. There's a writer I discuss in the book at, at some length called Marie Bellot Lowndes, uh, one of her uh, books, perhaps the most famous one, The Lodger, was filmed by Hitchcock in, in the 1920s, one of his very early movies. And uh, that's really a story about uh, Jack the Ripper in one sense, but it's also a story about the woman who uh, gives him lodging and, and her dawning suspicion that all might not be well with this particular sinister lodger. So I, I think that uh, this idea of domestic suspense, which of course is very current, very popular uh, at present, actually goes back a very long way. And Marie Bellatland certainly was uh, not the first, but, but a significant pioneer. And again, she was drawing on her experience of domestic life as as other women writers have, have done over the years. And, and, and maybe that gave them an edge. I think one interesting twist or, or wrinkle in that is, is Dorothy L. Sayers herself, actually, because she was criticized for being elitist. Um, I've only yes. read Whose Body, but um, her hero, Lord Peter Wimsey, is very posh. A lot of people are rich in it and having a good time. And she was criticized mm -hmm. for being elitist, even though, as you say, that contrasted hugely with her life and even with her yeah. other detectives. Yeah. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And I think the in, in intellectual terms, there's there's no doubt that she was elitist, but but not I think in social terms. I think she she's sometimes accused of snobbery in in a social sense. I I think that's very unfair and actually quite patronising. It, it's also sometimes said that she fell in love with a detective, Lord Peter Whimsey, uh, and and again I think that's uh, uh, very much uh, overstating the case. 
say as as you rightly say she began by creating this this rich glamorous aristocratic hero at a time when her life was in a terrible mess she was very poor suffering uh, uh, emotional turmoil for a whole range of reasons and and writing these stories was for her very therapeutic it was an act of escapism just as of course uh, reading these books up offers a great deal of escapism and has done over the years and, and does to this day. And of course, when, when we look at the real world, there's uh, every reason to be interested in escapism, perhaps. So, uh, so I think that appeal goes on. Right. Escapism is leveled at a lot of different genres, but crime fiction gets that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe less these days yes. as it's become elevated, perhaps. I think it's always been kind of funny because some of the most lauded literary writers, including Borges and Dickens, and of course Poe, not only dabbled in it, but were foundational. Can you talk yes. more about that tension? Yes, well, well, there are two schools of thought, aren't, aren't there, really? That, um, that there has long been a school of critical thought that, that condescends to crime detective fiction. Edmund Wilson, who, who in many ways was, was a very major literary critic, but he had a blind spot as far as popular fiction was concerned. So he didn't like Tolkien, he didn't like Lovecraft, and he certainly didn't like Agatha Christie or Dorothy L. Sayers. And he wrote a famous essay called uh, Who Cares Who Killed Roger Ackroyd? But, of course, the the simple answer is that millions of people care, and a lot more care than than, than care about his, his novels, and maybe that uh, frustrated him. I think that he just didn't get the appeal of crime and detective fiction for the most part, with a few exceptions of some some writers he, he, he did quite like. And I think that that's perfectly reasonable. You, there's, there's no law that says that you must like crime fiction. Far, far from it. It's very much a matter of personal taste. I, I think where critics go wrong is where they move from their personal taste to um, a more general scathing approach, uh, criticising others for uh, enjoying what they don't enjoy. I think that's, for me, going uh, too far. And I think the great strength of uh, the writers you've mentioned, like Dickens and Borges and, and, and many others, is that they uh, looked beyond the limitations, as some have seen them, of genre and realised that you can write uh, uh, really significant fiction uh, within the form of a crime story or a t- detective story. There's, there's no reason uh, on earth why a crime story or, or a detective story with a puzzle element can't be uh, a really fine work of literature. Uh, many are not because, of course, they're, uh, they're, they're written by people with literary limitations, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the form itself or, or that the form doesn't have the potential for, for greatness, and I think it's, it's potentially still being explored. And uh, I think that as the critical snobbery recedes into history, as I, as I hope it will, people will be more open-minded about potential. What are the boundaries that you think are still being pushed in crime fiction? What excites you these days about the way plots are being engineered or characters are being written or subjects are being explored or even, you know, different people are writing them in different countries? Well, I, I, I think that um, originality is, is, is something that's often discussed. But of course, 
true originality is 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 very difficult to achieve you you may think you achieved it as right and then you suddenly find out somebody else got there 50 years before you and i've I've highlighted in in the book uh, many examples where where writers, not necessarily intentionally, have have used uh, concepts that that have been explored in in the distant past. But there's nothing wrong with that. I think that the treatment is where the excitement often lies. That the voice, uh, the new voices that that we're hearing, uh, in Britain. In the United States and, of course, across the world, uh, China and Japan, for example, and some of these books, although by no means all of them, hark back in some ways to the the golden age, so called, of detective fiction between the the wars. But writers are are refreshing those old tropes and doing something different with them. One of the books that you talk about in The Life of Crime is not, in fact, a crime novel. It's the the last significant history of mystery. Julian Simmons's classic study of the genre, Bloody Murder, or as it was known in the U.S., Mortal Consequences, two lovely titles. Um, and you hide neither your admiration for that book nor your disagreements with some of its neat conclusions about... Yeah. The history of crime fiction, the evolution of crime fiction, the categorization of it. Well, Julian Simmons' book—you're you're quite right. It's uh, it's it's uh, his, his ghost hovers over the life of crime in in, in certain portions of of, of my book, um, and that's because his book had a great influence on me as a reader uh, and and as a writer as well. I've, I think it's a wonderful book. Uh, um, late in his life, I was lucky enough to meet him a few times, um, and I'm still in touch with his family, and that that was a great great pleasure, I must say. Um, but but Simmons was a man of very firm views. He, he mellowed a little bit later in life, but uh, he he was very opinionated. He was very uh, much inclined to the Edmund Wilson view about uh, Dorothy L. Sayers. Not Christie, he liked Christie, but he didn't like Sayers at all. He was very critical, and he was generally very critical of some of the Golden Age stories and the way that he saw things in terms of the historical evolution of the genre was that the detective story had evolved into the crime novel. And that, that was a very neat arc, uh, as, as he described it. Uh, however, as, uh, as the years have passed, uh, it's become quite clear that, that things are much less simple than, than he suggested. And in fact, the, the likes of Inspector Morse came along, which Julian struggled to fit into his, his books when he produced revised editions and, and a major theme of the life of crime is something which I certainly believe uh, uh, with, with, a, with great passion actually is that, uh, is that these divisions are much less significant and much less important and much less valuable than the connections, the things that link the different types of writing, the different uh, types of, of author. To give an example, Gillian Flynn, I, I mentioned a number of times in the book, She's uh, a contemporary writer, highly successful, very gifted. Uh, and in books like Sharp Objects and uh, Gone Girl, of course, massive global bestseller. Uh, it's very interesting to me to see connections. And, and, and she has spoken about this herself, connections that link her writing with the mid-19th century novels of Wilkie Collins, the British 
author of books like The Moonstone and The Woman in White. And I think that that, that connection is, is one that you might not expect, but it's clearly significant. It's, it, it's clear from the stories, if you read them, uh, uh, with, with insight. And it's also clear from, from, from what she has said. I, I think it's interesting that uh, Raymond Chandler, for instance, is very often depicted as the scourge of British Golden Age detective fiction. But he was actually a great admirer of Richard Austin Freeman, who wrote scientific detective novels and was a highly successful British Golden Age author. He, he was a great, great fan of, uh, of Austin Freeman and his detective, Dr Thorndike. He was an admirer of Freeman Wills Crofts, who uh, had a character called Inspector French, and he, he, he said that he, he was the soundest builder of them all. Uh, so, so I think that the, the easy interpretation of uh, some sort of battle between the hard-boiled writers and the, the uh, puzzle writers from the Golden Age is, is really quite a misrepresentation. Dashiell Hammett reviewed authors like Dorothy L. Sayers and uh, Anthony Barclay. He, he praised Philip MacDonald, uh, another Golden Age writer. So, so the picture that we've been fed in the past of uh, the hard-boiled writers re- representing a, a revolt uh, against the puzzle. Uh, there is something in it, but there is much more to it than that. And the connections that do exist are, to me, uh, at least as interesting and often more interesting than the things that, uh, that differentiate those two types of writing. So my last question may be an impossible one, one that you've encountered many, many times before, I'm sure, but where would you recommend someone start with crime fiction if they're relatively new to it? Or if, like me, they've dabbled a little bit. I've read some Hammett. I've read Chandler, some Sayers, some Christie. I've seen pretty much every drama. <laughs> <laughs> but where would you recommend starting with with crime fiction if you're persuaded by this interview to dive in? <laughs> well, well, of, of, of course, the point of entry for most people uh, across the world... Uh, uh, traditionally, as as with myself, as as being Agatha Christie. But if 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 that type of traditional who done it doesn't particularly appeal to you, then in terms of uh, psychological suspense, you have the likes of Highsmith, we've spoken about, Gillian Flynn, uh, authors of that type. In terms of uh, the hard boiled writers, well, if we look back to the past, then we can't do a lot better than Hamilton Chandler and also Ross MacDonald. I talk about quite a bit in the uh, in the book. Ross MacDonald and his his wife Margaret Miller, a very fine writer herself. Uh, so so I think that your entry points uh, depends to some extent on 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 your taste. But but what I do hope is that people will be encouraged by the book if if they read it to to go beyond the obvious and and, and try things that they might not have uh, thought they would enjoy but might actually uh, turn out to be hidden gems we have links in the show notes to martin edwards's new book the life of crime detecting the history of mysteries and their creators which is full of so many fun anecdotes about all your favorite mystery writers for instance, Sue Grafton only turned to fiction after realizing that she was probably thinking a little bit too deeply about how to kill her second husband. We've also listed probably more detective fiction in the show notes than you could ever possibly read in one lifetime. But don't let us stop you from trying. 
Next week and the week after, Smarty Pants will be on vacation. So I'm going to be sharing with you two of my favorite episodes that are connected to one of the places I'll be going. If you guess it correctly, and it will not be hard, shoot me a line at podcast at theamericanscholar.org and I'll send some stickers in the mail for you. I'll be back with all new conversations for you starting on September 16th. Till then, take care and stay sharp. <laughs>